attitudes, our grievances, and all the crazy in between. Grab your favorite drink, get comfortable, because we're getting candid. Hey! Welcome! Welcome, welcome! <laughs> Look at she's a natural. It's... I've been wanting to say it forever. <laughs> Here we are. Um, if this doesn't sound familiar, it's because we have a special guest. Samantha Lee Stacks is here. I'm sorry, do you not want me to use your full name? No, that's fine. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> She's here. She's in Bend, and Kaepler, unfortunately, is not with us, but we are recording an episode on Kaepler's request to um, kind of talk about our Peace Corps experience. As some of you know, that is how Sam and I met each other. And so Kate was gracious enough to come up with a few questions on and like talking points for us to go through for the Peace Corps experience. But before we get into that, what's up, Sam? What are you drinking? Um, I am double fisting water and peppermint tea. We are having a wild Saturday night. Yeah, we are getting <laughs> real crazy because the last two nights we haven't really been sleeping. Yes. Very. I mean, we tried to catch up last night, but we slept until like 930, which still was not enough time. Um, but it's okay. We're doing it. We're doing it big. We saw Broco last night in Bend and it yeah. was great, but it was a weird show. <laughs> Shout out to bit. Broco. Yeah. We love you. We know but... that they're listening. Yeah, for sure. Number one fans. <laughs> Candidly 30. No big deal. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, yeah, Sam is just visiting for the weekend. And we, I don't know, I feel like I always try to plan activities. But we kind of just want to chill today, which is nice. Yeah. No, it's been lovely. Kelly is the best host. So it's been Aww. such a wonderful time. Stop it. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah. So anyway. Do you have any updates? <clears throat> Actually, no. she's not caught up on the pod, so it's a little upsetting. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm not offended no, in any way. one episode behind that I am aware of. Maybe two. But um, no major updates. Um, I just background, I guess. Like, I live in Salt Lake City, so like Kelly said, just visiting Bend for the weekend um been there for like five years oh my god already yeah and kelly and i met 10 years ago which (gasps) is so crazy that is crazy (laughs) yeah actually let's go into that like how we were talking about it last night but Mm -hmm. how did we meet yeah so i remember being at the airport we i think i said jfk but i think it was actually addis ababa airport that we like clung to each other. Didn't we were going through customs? I can't remember if it it was, was, I think it was JFK. And then we met up again in the Addis airport and that's where we took like our first picture together. Okay. But I do remember being so anxious and sitting around at JFK waiting to leave. And Kelly came up to me and was just like her normal, lovely chatty self. And like, (laughs) Asking me I a bunch of questions. I don't remember any of this. Oh my gosh. I feel like I was on the edge of tears the entire time and oh. you were like so nice and you're just like, yeah, we're going to be friends. And we were. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Sometimes I do that. I just tell people they're going to be my friend and you just <laughs> went along with it. So that was great. It worked out. <laughs> yeah. And here we are 10 years later. It was crazy. Yeah. Wow. And also like um some of our answers we were talking about it earlier to like the questions that Keebler came up with I feel like might be a little different than 10 years later than if we were just 
fresh out of Ethiopia. So take it with a grain of salt. I feel like we're going to try not to be negative, but there are some really hard parts about Peace Force service and Ethiopia in general and their culture, which is lovely, but also obviously very different than Mm -hmm. what we were raised with, we were expecting, etc. So yes, totally. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, but Sam and I try to see each other as often as possible, and we have done a pretty good job of seeing each other since we got out of Peace Corps. Yeah. Um, we try to stick to a quarterly schedule. This is Q4, and <laughs> <laughs> we're doing pretty good. We are very excited. Supposedly, there will be a reunion next year, which... Um, there's no like solid plans yet, but we're very hopeful that it will actually happen and we'll get to see some homies that we haven't seen in a minute. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it would be lovely to see everyone, but we're all just like in such different life places than we were obviously 10 years ago. So it's also a really interesting and hard time to like get us all together. But anyway, without further ado, should we jump in? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. All right, let's see. How did you decide to join the Peace Corps? Was there a significant moment or person who introduced you to the Peace Corps? Yeah, so I have a background in nursing and I was in nursing school and working as a CNA, a certified nursing assistant in the hospital in Ohio where I went to school. And I did not like it at all. (laughs) Um, The further I got into nursing school, the more I was kind of panicking and I didn't really like the vibe of the hospital. I know a lot of people like thrive there and I think it's wonderful that people can work in hospitals. It just was not for me. And so I was looking for other options and the Peace Corps just seemed like this very like magical, like... (laughs) I don't know, option to try and do something new and live in a different place with a different culture. And it just like sounded so rad. And so on a whim applied and was like surprised. Um, You know, the application process is really long, but like got through everything fine. And yeah, it just worked out. Um, I didn't know anybody personally that had done the Peace Corps before applying except for in high school somebody's parent came in and did tell us about her time in the Peace Corps which was really cool she was a volunteer in the 80s in some tropical island I don't really remember but I think that's the only thing I can think of other than like pop culture references I didn't really know much about what it would be like or anything Yeah. I mean, like a common misconception, I'd say, just like going back to your like nursing experience is that you have a very specific job, which is true. Like you are trained in a specific job, but like once you get to Ethiopia, you really just do whatever you can. Um, And you kind of just like go through different avenues and also different like peaks and valleys of your service, obviously. And so, like, did you think when applying that, like, you were going to be a nurse, like, in a hospital? Yeah, I think I definitely, I mean, obviously there are legal things, like, I'm licensed in certain places in the U.S. and I wouldn't be in other countries. So I do get those, like, restrictions and stuff, but I did think I would be more specialized or something. Like, I thought people would be 
slightly more specialized job wise. And I know there are some Peace Corps countries where they do want you to do very specific things, but I feel like those are far and few between from other volunteers that we've talked about or talked to. I mean, I feel like, I don't know, just when people are like, Oh, that's so cool. You're in the Peace Corps. Like, what did you do? And it's kind of like confusing when we tell people like, Oh, I just did whatever, like my community wanted me to do, which like was in no way, shape or form, like related to what I went to school for. I was trained for through Peace Corps or anything like that. So anyway, it's just like a side note. I think it's very interesting. Like, how, like you're right. There are some countries where you are very much like, especially with countries that have very established Peace Corps programs. I feel like it's a little bit more specific, but Ethiopia, like when we got there was just newly Peace Corps was like newly back in Ethiopia. Like it had been there in the sixties. Is mm-hmm. that right? Mm-hmm. And so we were just the 10th group to come into country since there was like a civil war previously where uh, Peace Corps got removed. So it was interesting, like, even though we were the 10th group, it still felt like it was like a very new program and they were learning a lot and what to do with us. So that was kind of interesting too. But Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't really remember the whole process of wanting to do it. I feel like I was 21 years old or whatever, graduating from college. And I was like, I don't want to get a desk job or like a big kid job at 21 years old. Like I don't even know how to do anything. Uh, or like, I don't know, I just had no interest. And so I just decided to, I feel like I remember my mom, like very specifically, like, you should do this and just see what happens. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I didn't like think, I thought like a lot of people also think that the Peace Corps application process is like very, what's it called? Selective. Yeah. Like really hard to get into. Yeah. Competitive. Um, Competitive for Mm -hmm. sure. But just in my experience, everyone who applies got it. Yeah, I think it, like, takes a while. And so, obviously, like, if you can't afford to, like, wait that long or you Mm -hmm. don't have, um, yeah, that option time-wise, it's more difficult. But it is just, like, completing all the steps. It is the government. And so (laughs) a lot of, like, paperwork and, like... Um, just hoops kind of, but nothing like super difficult. Yeah. The government's got nothing but time so like <laughs> on their timeline, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, same like, so I think I started applying when I was 21 and I didn't leave country. Let's see until I was like almost 23. So it took wow. like a year and some a year and some change to actually like get a country assignment and all that stuff. Um, So, like, not a specific person either, but just, like, um, once I started going through the process, I met more people who were like, oh, yeah, like, I had a brother, I had a cousin, or whatever. Um, But I think it was mostly my mom, in the long run, who Mm -hmm. wanted me to apply, and then I just got, like, invested. Because once you get through, like, one step, and you're like, oh, cool, and then I started getting, like, more and more excited about going, um, because it is, like, in your like, I don't know, at the time of applying, I thought it was like super competitive. And so I was like, there's no way I'm going to get in. And so when I got in, I was just like, wait, now I have to do this. So, which (laughs) is also interesting. Like we, um, we were one of the last groups to where we didn't get a choice in what country we went to. 
Oh, yeah. Because the Peace so Corps true. process changed shortly after, like the group after us who came into country, um, they were given like three options or something like that. And then they got to choose which one they wanted to do. And so obviously you get like a country and then you get like the job assignment or whatever you would be doing in that country. So they got to choose where they wanted to go. So that was like a whole different feeling as well, because I felt like just throughout our service, we were just like, what is wrong with G11? Like, why did they choose Ethiopia? But that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. But also G11 was um, education and Mm -hmm. we were an agriculture health group. Um, And so I feel like education just like had a different experience as Peace Corps volunteers because they were so well thought of and well regarded because they were like teaching English and they were in the schools every day. They had like very specific jobs where they had to go to school every day, you know, like where we were just like trying to fake it till we made it and make and get into the agriculture offices or the health offices and, and things like that. So we definitely felt like some animosity towards G11 sometimes. <laughs> okay, I will speak for myself. I didn't have, yeah, I didn't have as close of contact with a lot of G11s as you did since you had a site mate that was one. But um, yeah, I think it definitely was like, yeah, a little like jealousy or like competitiveness of just, yeah, we didn't have an established job or like work schedule and yeah it was hard to figure out like what to do and what would work without a lot of like structure support so yeah and also not knowing the language super well anyways uh so I guess we should say that I was trained and sent to Ethiopia as an agriculture volunteer and Sam was trained and sent as a health volunteer hence her nursing degree and everything um and so it was also really interesting our like group dynamic was interesting because we were like split basically in half Um, And we started with, what, like 62 people? Yeah. Yeah. And we ended up graduating or like finishing with like 52 or 54 or something. Something like that, yeah. Which is like decent for uh, the amount of people and like how hard and how long services, I would say. Um, I don't know. I was impressed that we didn't lose more people. But it what did felt like a feel like a huge loss whenever someone decided to either quit or they got like medevaced or I don't know the other thing that happened but yeah or if they had to switch their site for like a safety reason or something mm -hmm. because yeah service is generally 27 months like you have three months of training and then two full years in your town or site um and so that's obviously a very long time and for lots of reasons people either like decided after training or during training it wasn't for them or if they got sick or had like an emergency back home we did end up losing quite a few people so it was sad yeah and also it's just like like we there's a lot of volunteers in Ethiopia which is different than other Peace Corps countries I'd say um like I said there was like we came in every six months and then a group left every six months so there was constantly four groups in country throughout your two-year service so either like if you were fresh, there was three older groups who were like kind of experienced and whatever. And so you like moved through the experience level basically, which was really interesting. Um, and then saw the like new groups come in. And that was also a really interesting experience because like at first you're like, obviously the like bright eyed, bushy tail, like volunteers and you're really excited and you're like really go getter and all that stuff. And then you like, like 
over time just get like more and more jaded and see the new groups come in and you're just like, oh, what have you done? Yeah, right. <laughs> but also then you're like getting closer to the end of service. So you're like very excited. And so, yeah, it's such a like weird feeling throughout like your whole service. Um, but anyway, okay. Sorry, that was like a huge intro. But if you don't know anything about the Peace Corps, it's kind of like important knowledge to know yeah, yeah. before we like talk about specific things. But <laughs> Okay. Do you want to do the next one? Sure. Can you give a small description of your lodging, daily routine, family, or communities you interacted with? And we already discussed if we chose Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll just do that. Daily routine. Okay. Do you want to go first? You can go first. Okay. Um, so we were set up by Peace Corps with like, they were called our counterpart. And so we were set up with like an agriculture or health office, like I said before. And then you had a counterpart who was supposed to kind of just be your like eyes and ears in the community. They came to Peace Corps events. They were paid by Peace Corps to like travel with us and work with us, not like throughout your whole service, but just like they went through trainings with us. Um, they were supposed to kind of help us with language and things like that. Um, and so we, depending on <laughs> the person, it kind of felt like a lot of the time it was the person in your community who spoke the best English. Mm-hmm. If that was your experience too, Sam, I don't know. Um, which was really interesting because like my counterpart, he was wonderful and like everyone in and Peace Corps thought he was, like, super Gobez because his, which means, like, smart or yeah. whatever. <laughs> oh, it's coming out. And Mark is coming back. <laughs> um, because he, like, worked in the agriculture office and his English was fantastic. I cannot lie. But he literally, like, once we got to site and in country, I literally, like, never saw him ever again, which was pretty interesting. And I think that was a lot of people's experience in general. Yeah, I think, like... At the time, it felt really difficult because I had a very similar experience. Somebody who was assigned my counterpart to be my, like, liaison into the town. And and he did set up a meeting, and I did get to meet, like, the big wigs in town or whatever. We set up a meeting to introduce me to the community. But then after that, very much, yeah, like, kind of fell off. And, like, I don't think they were compensated or anything. Like, obviously, they got a trip into Addis out of it, but, like... Now, like in my current job, I like take students and I know it's not quite the same thing, but like I don't get compensated for that. And I do feel like when you're working full time and then you have this additional thing that like you're not given extra time to do or like paid for or get really any benefit for in any way. Like I think it makes a lot more sense of why. Well, I guess we'll talk about but this later, but like um why getting into the schools and working with kids ended up working a lot better than trying to work with adults. Like they just didn't have time. And like, we weren't like a priority to them, which is fair. Like we weren't really, we weren't helping them in any way. Right. Like it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, all that to say is that, so basically Peace Corps like sets you up to where you have an office where you're supposed to like go every day and things like that. But like when, your counterparts all have and like your office all has a job to do every single day. And you're kind of just like sitting there and um, there's like a few restrictions that Peace Corps has too, where like, 
for me specifically, like the agriculture office like works in a lot of the like rural Kebelays, which is like a little like county, I guess. Um, and so they would ride motorcycles out there to get there and like talk to farmers and do beekeeping, um, like, per, like little, um, what do you call them? Like demonstrations and things like that. Um, but like we weren't allowed as peaceful volunteers, we weren't allowed to ride motorcycles and like things like that. So like, it was really hard because I could only do stuff like basically that was in my town or within like walking distance, which like doesn't really help as an agriculture volunteer. Like I, uh, I don't know. It just, there was a lot of like weird things. So anyways, feels like over time you kind of just like, or I did, I just like fell off from going to the agriculture office um, and so I started just working with, I had a really good friend who my previous site mate, so he was like a G7 when I came in, he was already in town. Um, and so he worked in the schools and he was trained as an education volunteer and everything. And so he worked in the school. So I like met a lot of the teachers through him and I got a really like close bond with one of the teachers and her name was Aminat. And so she became like my, my helper. And so we ended up just working together a lot and hanging out a lot. She became one of my best friends in town. She took care of me, um, a lot of the time as well. So she like taught me how to kill my first chicken and all (laughs) that good stuff. So yeah, she was incredible. So I ended up just working a lot in the schools, um, she also was really close with like the HIV community in my town and they did have like very specific HIV like groups, which I thought was really cool that they would like get together and, um, work together because there was just a lot of stigma around HIV positive folks. So, um, I did end up working with a lot of them and she was able to like translate for a lot of things for me. Um, so we did end up doing like some gardens, like home gardens with some of the HIV positive people and, and things like that. But, uh, so day to day kind of changed throughout service. Like I would say 90% of my days, I was chilling in my house with my family or like with other people in town, um, or traveling, uh, to like Peace Corps events or trainings or things like that. And then the other 10%, I was actually like actively working. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, I think work was a very loose definition. And I think like it took a while to like kind of get that into our heads. Like the first three months that you're in your site, you're just supposed to be doing a community needs assessment. You're like not really supposed to start any projects or anything. You're just getting to know everybody. And I feel like that felt like insane when we first got to the site because all of us were like really motivated. We had just been through three months of training and given all these manuals and like trainings and projects that we wanted to like do and start. But um, I feel like it ended up being very, very helpful because like we all came in with an idea of what Peace Corps service was going to be like and all the things that we were going to do. But like Kelly was saying, you're, you're really there to do what your community wants you to do or like would like you to try to do. And so um, all that is to say like work was like very different. Like it was a lot of like partnerships and like talking about like learning about Ethiopian culture, but also speaking about like American culture, like that cross-cultural bond and communication. Um, And that was nice that that was something that was acknowledged as work. Um, 
but it did feel frustrating to not have a specific task to do. And so I do feel like Peace Corps was a little bit like choose your own adventure if mm-hmm. you were a motivated um, individual and like had an idea in mind and you had support and backing to do it, like you could definitely go do it. If you didn't get the right counterpart or didn't have community buy-in or um, it also helped to have like a strong Amharic, the like local language. Totally. Volunteers who had strong Amharic, it felt like they had really strong bonds with a lot more people in town and then they were able to do a lot more events and activities and projects and things. Right. Right. And we did have really good like language learning um, classes. It's just a difficult language to learn and definitely not something that we've had any prior exposure to compared mm-hmm. to like other like Spanish speaking countries or French speaking countries. Um, but yes, people who could catch on to the language did seem to have more like respect in the community and, and you can just talk to more people. Um, but yeah. I mean, English also was not a well-known language. I mean, like, they all knew what English is, and they tried to speak English, but, like, actually getting below, like, surface level, like, hi, how are you? Great. How's work? Great. How's your day? Great. Whatever. Like, it was really hard to have, like, get to be better friends with people because you couldn't have, like, real conversations, either in English or Amharic, like, um, so that was that was interesting too. That was like a different aspect to it. But I guess the original question was like, what was our like lodging, like daily routine mm-hmm. type? Sorry, but I feel like we had to give like backstory to like no, yeah. what we were supposed to be doing every day. And then what we actually ended up doing was like, um, we lived in compounds. So Peace Corps actually would go to the site and ask for like community buy-in to have a Peace Corps volunteer in their site in the first place. So they did that all before all the volunteers come to country. So they set everything up previously. Then when you're in training, you actually go to your site that you get selected for, which was like a whole different experience um, when we all got site selections. And I just looked at Sam and we were like, oh my God, we're in the same region, but we literally in opposite corners of the region. And so largest region, not the largest region, one of the largest regions Mm -hmm. in the country. Um, And so we're just like, okay, cool. It's only like a 12 hour bus ride (laughs) to get to each other, whatever. Um, but anyways, so we got to go to our site and do all that stuff. Um, and then you, at that point you like see your house that Peace Corps picked out for you and depending on your site and your compound family and everything that's all chosen for you. So you don't really have a decision in that. And so some people had wonderful compound families and some people did not. Sam and I were both lucky enough to have great compound families Um, and so basically what a compound is, is just like, there's like a main house basically, and it's like all fenced in. And then there's like other outhouses around like the outside of the compound. And then there's like a centralized shint bed, which is like the bathroom. And like some people had showers, some people did not have showers. Some people had great power. Some people did not have great power. Some people had great water. Some people did not have great water. Um, and so it just like was very different depending on the region you lived in your compound family like how wealthy they were or not um things like that we also did pay rent every month and so I think that it was kind of hard because like I think a lot of the like more this is just my personal experience or like feelings is that like more wealthy families got Peace Corps volunteers because they had like nicer compounds and things like that but like 
they didn't really need the money from us. So that was like an interesting like balance as well. But anyways, like a lot of compound families like bought really extravagant things after having a Peace Corps volunteer and things like that because they had like all this extra income that they probably wouldn't ask from like a local Ethiopian for. Um, which is just like, sorry, a whole other aside. But anyways, long story short, I feel like day to day was um, I would wake up and like work out every day because there's nothing else to do when there was power. A lot of time in the afternoon, the power gets shut off. And then I would just sit with my compound family and we'd like make sure and just sit because that's what you did in Ethiopia. You just like sat and talked and hung out and like lived together. Um, so there's a lot of time just like picking lentils and um, just like sitting around and chit chatting and doing things like that. Like obviously everything just takes so much longer, like cooking and cleaning and laundry and all that kind of stuff. So I would say I would like, if anything, I would go to the office or whatever in the morning, um, and then come home and just like, also they had great like coffee times and lunch breaks were like hours and hours long. So we would just like get to go home, whatever. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the day to day was hard because it changed a lot too when I got my G11 site mate. I feel like we hung out a lot more than I did with like my G7 or my G8 site mate. And I was very lucky to have that many site mates um, throughout my service. So I always had like someone to at least like speak English with and um, at some point, so I didn't like lose my mind. But yeah, I feel like day to day was pretty much the same. You kind of just like hung real, real hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, we had fairly similar like houses. We had like two different rooms. You, it used to be a requirement that you'd have like at least a cement floor and power at least some of the time. And I think you had to have cell service, but other than that, the requirements were pretty loose and like a a water source. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was like cinder block houses, um, no running water in the house. Um, Like same as Kelly said, the power was very intermittent. Um, Mine was like fairly decent, Uh, but water was not water was like once a week, it would come on in the afternoon or the evening. And if it did not come on, um, I think that was like one of my biggest stresses during Peace Corps service was like water insecurity. And I still feel like it makes me anxious even nowadays. (laughs) Um, But like we would have, I had like a big jerry can and then multiple buckets and then a water filter. And I would make sure all of those were filled up every time that the water came on. And when I started running low, my um, compound family would always give me water if needed, but it still just made me extremely anxious. Like, what if it never comes back? Even though I could have gone and bought like bottled water nearby. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I was like so panicky about it. I mean, it was like cooking. It was cleaning. It was showering. It was like drinking. It was everything. Like you don't realize how much water you use until you don't have it. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, we like... I don't know. That was one of my biggest takeaways, which is probably like a spoiler because I think this question comes up later. But like one of my biggest takeaways from the whole experience was never taking for granted running water ever again, 
because you just don't realize how inconvenient it is to not have running water until you don't. Um, literally anything like washing your hands, washing your face, brushing your teeth is so annoying without running water. Like having to brush your teeth out of a bucket is the, yeah, it's insane. Sometimes also we had like these little like pools basically in our houses, like one, like a little kiddie pool. I mean, maybe not everyone, but I, that's what I used to like shower in, like bathe in. Um, and so, but when you didn't want to like take it out every day, you, you could like pee in there if you didn't want to go to the shin in the middle of the night, or you'd like wash all your dishes and that sounds foul, or you'd wash all your laundry in it. You'd like literally do everything in this like kitty pool. And like, I don't know. And so just like looking at it some days, you'd look like I would have it in my house for like multiple days sometimes. And I would just be like, this is, I'm foul. Like I am disgusting. Like yeah. all the things that would get thrown into that kiddie pool. But anyway, sorry. That's like a way, no, it's way okay. off topic. I think cleanliness in general was like very, Thrown very relative, <laughs> like washing dishes. Cause you had to conserve water. So you just kind of make sure things were clean-ish. Um, I mean, we're very lucky here. I mean, I know we need to be more better about conserving water here but um yeah I feel like you'd you'd take it to the extreme you'd like use the least amount possible to make it last until it came back on so that was yeah that was very stressful I remember like crying over not having water a couple of times because I really for some reason thought that I was like gonna gonna die yeah like (laughs) just get dehydrated and die and even that like anyways um But I lived in a pretty big town. Well, I I would say like more of a city on an Ethiopia scale. Like um, there was, we were the capital of, I don't know if we were the capital of the South Gondor region or not. I can't remember. Hmm. But um, there was like a big hospital where I was at. There were like more than one main road (laughs) that everything was on. I don't remember the exact population, but it was like, Definitely like a hundred thousand. Yeah, it was pretty big. Yeah. And that was definitely not the norm for most people. So the great thing about that was like more amenities, I guess you would say. Like there were more places to eat. There were multiple schools that I could work in, like lots of people to meet. But um, it also wasn't like a community feel. Right. It was definitely not like people knew who I was and that I was part of that town I think you know we stood out like sore thumbs and being like the only white person or like just blonde and tall and whatever and female like um I feel like in other places with smaller communities some volunteers had a very different experience where everybody kind of knew they were part of that community like for better or for worse like I had some anonymity which was nice um but it also never like really felt like I was a part of the community. Um, So, but yeah, very similar day to day experience as Kelly, like you'd go to the office in the morning and um, have tea or coffee or whatever and meet with people and see if they needed anything from you. And then you'd kind of do other activities in the afternoon. Like um, if the water came on, I would run home and do my laundry. (laughs) And then, um, but also like going to after school clubs or yeah, meeting with the HIV positive community for their meetings or I don't even know, just just random stuff. Also, Every sometimes people would just be like, come into my house and eat something. And you'd be like, 
or come into my house and have coffee or like a Buna ceremony. And that would be like a three hour long thing. So like it wasn't like, yes, we had a lot of free time, but you could easily just sit with people for hours and hours and hours and not do a single thing, which is kind of, it's like taken for granted for sure. Because when we got back to the States, I kind of was like, oh my God, everything's so busy and so Mm -hmm. fast. And like, they're just on a different timeline. So Mm -hmm. That's really interesting, too. I mean, we did end up going to the Capitol a lot. We, like, went on a few trips throughout service and things like that. Um, But a lot of, like, our day-to-day was just, like, hanging and, like, making friends. And that was great, too. I mean, we did, like, obviously, like Sam said, like, days when we had to do laundry or days when there was, like, market. Like, we had market twice a week. One was a much larger market than the other day of the week. Um, like where we get all of our groceries and everything. So there's like very specific things that you like had to do um, when you could. And obviously you can't just like do a lot of things when you feel like it. Like we have the freedom to do in the States. Um, and like, yeah, we can talk about food later because I feel like food is a whole other yeah, subject. Is, yeah. So um, what are a few things you wish you knew no one told you about the Peace Corps and Ethiopia? What I wish I had known about Peace Corps was that the things that ended up being very hard were not what you would expect. Hmm. I think, like, I worried a lot about packing the right clothes and, you know, the water situation and the power situation and not knowing the language, which was, you know, important. But I think, um, I think realizing that you have to in order to make a difference you have to have like community buy-in and relationships like people are not going to want to just do something because you're there and you're the American and you have like even any like for me like medical knowledge and that sounds like maybe a little arrogant I mean I was yeah 22 when I joined the Peace Corps (laughs) um But, like, so true. I mean, the things that ended up being really difficult were, like, um, trying to, you know, working really hard to get something started and then it failing and no one being interested or um, just the isolation, like, of, yeah, not going days without speaking English to anybody. And, um, like, some of that was really cool, but sometimes you did feel a little weird. There's just so much you can't say when you don't know a language well enough. Like there's a lot of things you can't, I don't know. I couldn't express like emotions and stuff. Um, and then the harassment, I feel like was the biggest thing. I didn't, I never thought I would experience that level of like being constantly watched and talked about and yelled at. And, um, yeah, to some degree, like, I completely understand it, but it was very, very wearing after a long time. Yeah, I would say the same. I think, um, I don't know if people are aware, but, like, harassment, we, is, like, what it was characterized, maybe by Peace Corps or just by us, I don't know, but basically people are just, like, very interested. Like, they, Ethiopia was never a colonized country. I mean, obviously people tried to go there and colonize them. Like the Italians were there for a while. There's a lot of Italian influence um, and things like that. But they're very proud of the fact that they were never colonized for better or for worse. Like I would say their infrastructure would probably be a lot better. Their language would be a lot better if they were colonized, things like that. 
but like they really don't see white people that often. I mean, the Chinese came in and built their railroads and things like that. So like a lot of the time we were called China because that's our only experience with someone who has like light colored skin. Um, and so it was harassment. What like, and that's, what's hard too. like, sometimes it was ill intention harassment, but most of the time they're just excited and didn't know how to communicate with us and they didn't know what to do. And I'm sure it was like kind of scary or fun or whatever, but like you really just, it took you down a notch after a while. Like the novelty of it wore off when like you couldn't leave your house without every single person yelling at you. Um, and also like they just wanted engagement and it was really hard after a while to like provide that kind of engagement because you just feel like a monkey like in a cage like basically they're just like okay do something fun like you're blonde like you're white you're supposed to do something cool because that's like what they see on tv and things like that um so that was interesting and then yeah again the isolation like sometimes I joke that like I lost my best young 20s in a straw house by myself because that is how it felt sometimes you're just so alone you're very isolated and like it's hard because like there was a balance between like being isolated in your house and then being harassed so you're like do I have the strength to be harassed today or do I have the strength to be isolated today and sometimes it was a battle like (laughs) yeah I I mean I don't know yeah some days you just didn't have one or the other and some days you didn't have both and that's when you just ran away from sight (laughs) or you just like called each other and cried on the phone because that happened a lot too Um, but as far as like things I didn't know is, um, just like how universal Peace Corps is, no matter what country you go to, if you talk to any Peace Corps volunteer, nine times out of 10, you have the same exact experience of, as them, no matter what continent you get sent to, no matter, I don't know, just like, it's so interesting how, um, yeah, how we like fare in these like different Peace Corps countries and how everyone kind of like ends up having the same experience. Um, but I also would let like think that you also think you're like going to change the world or I thought I was going to like change the world by becoming a Peace Corps volunteer. And I realized at the end of service that just like helping one person or one family, like specifically my compound family, like interacting with them, living with them, them just like learning about me and understanding that like I'm a real person and I have like a family and like goals and dreams and all of these things. And like I'm a normal person really, I think changed them for the better. And like, um, they really just like became my family. And so I think if nothing else, if I just had an impact on my compound family, I would say that was like enough, you know, um definitely but yeah yeah I think I agree like you it doesn't it doesn't really matter like how many trainings and stuff you do I feel like knowledge sharing is obviously very valuable but like what types of things are gonna be there when you're gone and it is just like cliche but it's like people are gonna remember like how you made them feel and like showing interest in them or like Learning their culture, too. They were very happy when we, like, would wear Habesha lips, which is just, like, Ethiopian, traditional Ethiopian clothing, or, like, ate their food or knew how to make their meals, their food, 
I knew how to like do laundry, things like that, where they like knew that that wasn't normal for us. They were like very appreciative of that. Or speaking of Mark, they were like very stoked when you could communicate with them. I feel like. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, learning a lot on our end and like sharing some other things. And I feel like for young students, like maybe showing that there were alternative paths that they could take Mm -hmm. in life. Like, I don't know who's to say, but I do. Yeah. One like fun story back to the, like uh, being watched and like harassment type stuff. I remember, and I've said this before to people, but like, I remember being in my town and it was like around Halloween and um, I went to buy a pumpkin at the market and pumpkins are called dubas and that's a very fun word to say um but in general um what you eat I mean same here but what you eat is like very much tied to your socioeconomic status and so vegetables were more eaten by poor people and meat and eggs and things were more expensive and so um I went and bought a pumpkin and that caused quite a stir at the market because that is like the poorest of the poor person food Um, because it's cheap and it has a lot in it and it feeds people like a lot of people. And I was walking back home with the pumpkin and everybody just kept shouting like (laughs) Duba, like my whole walk home. And, uh, and that was funny enough in itself. And then I got back to the compound and my, compound mama was waiting there for me and she was like what's going on do you need money what's wrong why are you buying pumpkins like do you need a loan and I was like no I really just wanted a pumpkin but it was just or or like stuff like that like one time I went around asking for sugar and nobody had any sugar because it was like a black market to buy sugar in my town like you had to have a a card, like a special card to be able oh, to no buy way. sugar. It was like rationed. Sugar was really expensive too. Yeah. And so I went around to a couple people asking for sugar and same thing. Like by the time I got back to my compound, my landlady just like handed me a bag of sugar, like just meaning that like word had gotten back to her before I even got back home that the foreigner was out looking for something. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, not to mention like, yeah, back to harassment. There was nothing scarier. Okay, actually two places, two places. Nothing scarier than going to the market to like buy vegetables and eggs and whatever. Um, literally, because a lot of the times like the farmers were from the rural areas. They weren't familiar with you. Like in my town specifically, like I didn't interact with the farmers a whole lot. They only came into town for market days, right? So like I didn't see them. They weren't used to me just like walking around town and seeing me and talking to me, whatever. And so it was just like alarming whenever I was at the market. And so like, obviously the entire market is on edge because the white girl is there, you know? So it was just like, but they like loved whenever you came up and like bought things from them and you could communicate with them and they were like, so into it and whatever. But um, yeah, nothing scarier than a going to the market and B going to a bus station. Yeah. There was a lot going on. So like (laughs) as Peace Corps volunteers, obviously we have no money. So we like ride the local buses like everyone else, like everyone who lives there. Like very few people have cars, if anyone, like only the bus drivers have buses. Anyways. And by buses, they're like vans. They're not like what you're picturing. They're just like a big van that should fit seven people and somehow fits 
18 people. Yeah, I was going to say 15. And yeah. a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> or a goat or something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, if you – obviously, they're trying to, like, fill up their bus um, to be able to, like, make it the most money, right? And then they also, like, want to get – if you want to get to a place faster, like, you – you need to get onto like a full bus. There's like all these like strategic things about it, but like I would always want to sit in the front seat so I didn't die. Um, in the back, like scram or like crammed between like a throwing up lady and like children screaming or an old man just staring at me, sitting right next to me. Um, and so I would always want to sit in the front seat, so I'd always have to like get on an empty bus, and so it'd take like an out sometimes an hour to fill up the bus, just depending on how fast the radot was at grabbing people and throwing people on the bus, um, which the Radat was like, not the driver. He was just a little guy that like, um, opened the door for everyone and collected all the money, all the like fare and everything. Um, anyways. Yeah. So yeah. Anywhere there was a big group of people was definitely very stressful. And then yeah. Transportation. We could do a whole thing on that, but like just very much like you're, your time was not your own. Like you had to completely let go of control and like expectation that you were going to get anywhere in any amount of time. Like it could be fast and you were terrified at how fast they were driving or you could stop at every town or leave super late or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it was definitely a big lesson in patience. (laughs) Yeah. Patience all around. But also like I didn't realize how much I would be giving up like freedom just in so many ways when I went there because like yeah getting back and like having my car again and I was like oh my god I can go anywhere at any time like when I want to like what I don't have to be back home by 7 p.m yeah every night (laughs) that's true too we did have a curfew kind of for like better for worse um I think it was like best case scenario um not that I ever felt unsafe in my town but Um, yeah, they typically like locked our compounds after a certain time after dark, basically. So you had to be in your compound by dark. Um, and just for like, I mean, my, my place, my town had, um, like hyenas and things like that. So like, that's why they would lock our door. Um, but, and we had like cows in my compound and that's a whole other subject too. But yeah, so Anyway, but, like, freedom to go somewhere when you want to, freedom to, yeah, like, walk around anonymously, freedom to, like, eat whatever you wanted to. Like, we literally had to eat whatever our town or market could provide. Like, literally no freedoms yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, wearing whatever you oh, wanted yeah. to. You we couldn't, couldn't, like, be seen, you know, it was, like, inappropriate to be drinking alcohol as a female. It was inappropriate to, like, go to a man's house or, like, be seen eating alone or especially like drinking alcohol with someone of the opposite sex like Mm -hmm. because yeah everything you were doing was being watched like yeah you had to cover your knees cover your shoulders sometimes cover your head um just a lot of things to like be respectful like you were already causing like a lot of attention to be focused on you but like just to avoid even more it was Mm -hmm. yeah there were a lot of things you tried to do to fit in, even though, like, we were never going fit to fit in. Yeah, for sure. And also, like, just, I mean, this is, I guess, like, a cultural thing as well, but I just, like, crack up about it, and I think it to think about it to this day where, like, one time I would wear, like, shorts in my compound, and, like, my family knew that I, like, 
like knew I wasn't going to hell or whatever because I was wearing shorts. Like, so I, they knew what my knees looked like, but I just remember one time my landlady, I was like wearing pants and I like, I wore skirts for like the first part of my service. And then I was like, um, this is terrible. It's so sweaty in my sight. It's so hot. I'm getting like chubber up, like, you know, just like all the things. And so I started wearing pants and like leggings and things like that. And, um, my landlady was just like, she was very old, but she was just like, Oh, Kelly, like you're never going to find a husband when you show your legs. Like you're never going to. And I was like, is this foreshadowing? There was like, what are you trying to do to me? There was so much of that. Like you can't be a good wife unless X, Y, Z, like, unless you know how to cut the chicken into the seven parts and make Durawat or like Mm -hmm. their special stew. Like they're, you gotta clean the house in a certain way I mean there's obviously some of that in the U.S. too but it just it was definitely something that female volunteers were reminded of a lot more yeah or like people constantly trying to set you up with people right yeah for sure I do think it was interesting this is not really related to the question at all but um there was also like levels of respect in Ethiopia based on volunteer like um like as white women, obviously, we weren't as respected as white men, but we were definitely more respected than, like, people of other races in Ethiopia. Um, and there was kind of just, like, it kind of went down the line of, like, your experience. I mean, obviously, we are both white women, so, like, we don't know what their experience was. But I just know, like, um, like Asian volunteers had a lot harder of a time. Black volunteers had a lot, and especially black women and, black, and Asian women had a lot harder of a time in Ethiopia just because, um, I mean, the, the Asian was more like the Chinese influence in the country and what they did when they came and built the railroad and everything. But yeah, it was just so interesting on how they judged us, um, based on our skin color, um, and our gender and everything before, obviously they knew us, but yeah. Yeah. I think, um, that was very, very eye opening, and obviously there's racism, everywhere but yeah living in the U.S. as a white person I mean this is gonna be annoying but like you don't you don't see it until you see it and that was obviously the opposite experience like being not in the majority um and women's rights there not having come as far as they have in the U.S. like it was just yeah eye-opening in so many ways like it was wild. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, not to mention the fact that like white male volunteers just had such a different experience and like they could drink with their counterparts. Like they could go out on the town after dark. They could do all these things where like they could get closer to make male friends and Ethiopian friends to where they would be able to um, like have a better impact in the community as to like if we like, you know, a lot of women didn't really work in the offices. They didn't work in the schools. They were home with their kids or whatever. And so like, um, there wasn't like opportunities for us to work with a lot of women. And so obviously that was hindering because like we said before, like, like Sam was saying, we couldn't like hang out with men by ourselves on one-on-one. We couldn't eat with them one-on-one. We couldn't like drink with them. We couldn't like bond in that way. So we just had like a different experience Mm -hmm. in that way too, where it would be a lot I mean, everything would be a lot easier if you're a white male. So, <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. But um, I feel like we need to do a part two because we haven't really 
scratch the surface and we're like very far in there's just so much like there's so many specifics that you have to cover before answering like individual questions if that makes sense yeah and that I also remember being one of the hardest things is you felt very alone there and it felt like too much of an effort to try and explain to people back home Mm. what you were going through and then you also feel guilty because it's so hard but you always have the option to leave and like you're kind of doing it to yourself it was yeah so it does require like a lot of explanation it feels like we can picture it so clearly in our minds obviously but and it makes so much sense to us but we know that it doesn't make sense to other people and also I know that people like find it interesting but I also don't know if people really like my one of my very like specific experiences coming back from Ethiopia and like trying to transition back into the states was that people would be like oh my gosh like how was it and I'm like do you really want to know or do you want like the cliff notes version that you like want to hear like oh my god it was the best experience of my whole entire life I loved it so much or do you want like the real nitty-gritty like totally yeah what actually happened I'm always just like yeah I mean how could you sum up a two-year period of yes. your life like it's so nuanced and yeah I mean yeah I feel like people want to hear like it was so life-changing and blah 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 and it was it definitely was but not in the way that I would have expected not in the way that I would have imagined before I joined mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a good ending note yeah I guess just like one additional thing like what are you happy that you did it for sure yeah I think um I definitely don't think I would be the person I am today if I hadn't done it obviously friend wise like the the bond is like so intense I could go 30 years without seeing anybody from G10 and I would be thrilled to see any of them would always like welcome any of them in my home it's like something so weird to go through with people I feel like I will never get that experience again to like live and be totally immersed in another culture for such a period of time and have people welcome you into their homes like it was so wonderful in so many ways I think it sheds light on a lot of problems with international relations and Mm. development and like all of that and I also think that like seeing the United States from an outsider perspective like that was so interesting. Like um, seeing the news, not Mm -hmm. like, like, you know, watching Al Jazeera or whatever, like, and seeing what the U S looks like from the outside was crazy. Um, I'm sure there are many more things, but I don't regret doing it. It was difficult. I would, I would definitely do it again. Like, if I had to go back, I would definitely do it again. Really? Like when you're 22 or now? Oh, like I, I'm, I was thinking of that 22. Okay. I would consider, I would consider doing it again now. Maybe. Okay. I would say like if people, when people ask me that, I would say the only way I would ever do it again is if I like was married. Cause they do offer, um, like married couples to be there and or just like partnered couples to be there um just so you're not so alone and you can um obviously communicate in English throughout your service you can I think a lot more times like they obviously like I said like male white males or 
whatever, just get a lot more respect and everything. So you just like get invited to more things. You can go to more events and things like that. You also can get a lot more done when there's two heads like thinking together um, to like do projects and things like that. Um, I just think it would be like such a different experience. And we did have a few married couples in our group, um, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think I would do it alone again. I mean, yeah, maybe if I was 22, but not at this age for sure. Cause I just know too much <laughs> <laughs> and I have like creature comforts now, but anyway, um, yeah, I feel like we, it's just weird. Like, cause like you think about it and like the whole like trajectory of our lives would probably be completely different if we didn't do the Peace Corps. Yeah, I would imagine. But also sometimes it's like one of those things where like I completely forget that I was in the Peace Corps sometimes, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It is very strange that it was like a blip in our lives. And like, yes, two years is a very long time to try to sum up, but also two years in like the great span of things of like your whole life, like really isn't that long. So it's really interesting. But true. With all that being said, um, if you ever want to join the Peace Corps, that? no, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. Because we're really like selling it right now. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but anyway, so we didn't get to like any caves questions, but this is getting pretty long. So maybe I think we'll just have to do a part two. Yeah. We'll see what uh, what the people want. If we want to hear more, we will do another episode. Yeah. Because are... there's like very specific things that I did want to talk about, like food and just like oh, our group incredible. yes um just like the places around Ethiopia are so incredible and like so Sam and beautiful. I got to visit a lot of them and like Ethiopia is not a very large touristy country so like it's very interesting you know like obviously they don't have great infrastructure for tourists but um yeah and just like funny little idiosyncrasies that I like think are wild and bizarre and people um always like listening to like stories about that and stuff and then also like my family visited and that was like a huge and like Lindsay came to visit me and everything too. So yeah, hosting people in a different country where they don't know the language and you, they're like kind of just like baby sheep in, in the wild and you have to like take care of them was also such a different experience. Anyways. Yeah. There's so many things that we could, yeah, we could talk about. And then like the transition back into the States and how that went and what ended up happening was kind of wild too. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, 10 years ago in this January, the end of January, um, 2024 will be our 10 year reunion or 10 years since we left for country. So um, I guess not since we returned to country, but we all got back at different times. So it doesn't really count. I feel like, <laughs> but anyways, um, Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. I mean, thanks for being so open. Like, you're <laughs> yeah, natural. Oh my gosh. You don't. just like know what's happening. Okay, wait. <laughs> I th- I did make you think of a gratitude and grievance. Are you ready? Oh gosh, I'm, I'm stressed. I okay. have the gratitude, so I feel like that's good. Do we do the grievance first, though? Yeah, to end on a positive. Okay. 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 Grievance-wise, what would you say? Um, it can be something so silly. Like, you always tell me, like, what pet peeves you have and things like that. I know, but now... Do you want it to be Ethiopia-related? Okay. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. We can do that. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. Um, grievances. I'm just feeling so, like, happy and lovely right now. I got warm soup belly. Like, mm. I can't... Nothing's wrong. I can't complain, even though I constantly complain. <laughs> 
Um, okay, what about last night? I know, I was trying to think. I, I will say this. People at concerts, things are getting out of hand. Mm-hmm. You need to be aware of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. You need to not put your elbows in Preach. my face. You need to not, like, stomp your feet off beat <laughs> for 10 minutes. Um I just think, in general, it feels like people are a little bit less self-aware while driving at the airport and other places. So maybe just, like, peek around. See Mm -hmm. how people are reacting. Try not to physically harm one another. Yeah. That's fair. (laughs) That's not what I was thinking of, but that is very fair. So I just have to say that... I will make it my grievance because last night Sam was okay. She was wearing wedges, but that's beside the point. Literally Sam was the tallest person in the entire concert. I felt like a giant. I was (laughs) a giant and I was surrounded by elves. And (laughs) I am just going to say that I've never felt more. I mean, this is a grievance. Hold on. I'll get to the grievance part, but I, my gratitude for just this grievance is that I felt so <laughs> verified in all my existence because all I'm ever saying is that there's not a single tall person in Bend or specifically man in Bend. Everyone is 5'7 or 5'8 or something of the sort. And I'm not going to lie. I am not interested in someone who is that short. And as a person who is 5'7", that shouldn't be too much to ask, but you know, <laughs> it was, it was really wild. I don't know. Like, I guess my hope is that everybody who was above five, seven was being extremely respectful and standing in the back or on oh. the sides, but I don't think that was it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that was the case, but yeah, my grievance is how, why does every short man on the planet want to move to Ben Oregon? <laughs> that makes no sense. And every time I complain about how everyone's short, AF. Um, I'm not lying. And now Sam very yeah. much understands. It's it's true. Anyway, on to gratitudes. Gratitudes, obviously, is for Kelly Camise and our friendship. Oh we have goodness. been there for each other through some dark times. Monday nights on Half Price Minutes in mm. Ethiopia when we would have our chats, visiting each other, um, hanging out, like sharing all of the like hard things, weird things, funny things, everything that we were going through. And then just still staying friends because it's hard. We live in different places. We have different lives. Like, And we have never lived in the same place, even in Ethiopia. (laughs) That is quite interesting. Yeah. I just like value, I don't know, every year as I get older, I just like value my strong female friendships more and more. And so I'm just so happy that we've stayed Mm. friends. Me too. Yeah. I mean, you're also my gratitude, but you're also my gratitude on the last week's pod, but you didn't listen to it yet. So you fail. No, I'm just joking. Oh no. Um, (laughs) But my gratitude was just Sam coming to visit. So I'm just going to reiterate that the fact that, um, well, not to mention the fact that she has been the winner for sure of coming to visit me lately. She has come here a lot more than I've gone to Salt Lake. So I'm a bad person. But um, yeah, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make the trip soon. But I'm just grateful that she wants to come hang out with me and that she tolerates living this tiny little house with me. Um, <laughs> and because it probably is the same size as my Ethiopia house, huh? Yeah, right. honestly, I think it is my apartment. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty funny. I mean, I did have a decent size Ethiopia house, but I did. 
anyway, um, grateful for you. Grateful for Josh letting you come and hang out with me and I will get to see him very soon too. But, um, yeah. No, how did we make it? How did we survive? We don't know. I don't know. We really, we stuck it out. Mm -hmm. Dark days, but good days too. Yeah. But I think also it's just so cool that we have been able to, um, because Ethiopia is like obviously a very bonding experience, but we've been able to like connect on so many other things instead of just like living in Ethiopia connection. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we're very similar in all of our interests and things like that. Obviously that helps. And like, obviously that kind of makes sense is we're, we both want to do the Peace Corps and everything, but I think yeah, it's just really nice that we're basically the same person. It's <laughs> fine. It's fine. Sam is just so smart, so that's our only difference. That is, I just know weird facts that nobody asked me for, but I will tell you anyway. That's, that's and what she, she means. every <laughs> word to every single song in the whole entire world. No, so just so everyone's aware, never play like a a sing battle with her but i do not know who sings the song so do not ask me that true yeah that's a good backpacking hiking thing anyways okay (laughs) well this is all we're gonna do for now this is probably one of the longest episodes we've ever done which didn't even like scratch the surface of ethiopia so if you're interested let us know hit us up on insta slam um but we love you so much and kate will give her commentary soon okay part two Someday. Someday. Bye. Bye. for today's episode of candidly 30 hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed chatting if you like what you heard please subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review your feedback helps us make the show even better follow us on instagram at candidly 30 thanks for being candid with us 